Wonderful lead into uh, our time in God's Word. Uh, Lois and I have a privilege of being here with you this morning. Lois is down here in the front, and, and uh, we've enjoyed coming here from time to time over the past. Um, Dave and Barbara are good friends of ours, and uh, of course you're all praying for them, I trust, today. Uh, they're away with, uh, with Dave's dad, and they're on a cruise, I think. Is that right? And everybody know that? But they take, I guess uh, they've taken him on this cruise as a way of kind of celebrating his life, and so we can keep praying for them as they uh, do that and then come home. But I was, a, I was really uh, honored to be asked to fill the pulpit this morning in Dave's place, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. And I love the, the uh, passages that uh, he's already covered in First Peter. Let me just quickly tell you a little bit about me and uh, Lois and our family uh, we've been married for 50 years this year, um, and uh, we have three children, seven grandchildren. Don't see them often enough. We are kind of spread around, but uh, Lois and I now live at Elam Park in Cheshire, and so we're not too far away, and we have the privilege of uh, serving there as one of the, the uh, chaplains on staff there, and so uh, we're enjoying the, the new, new life that we have and the changes, and uh, just it's just we're still kind of getting adjusted to moving away and moving down here. We come from Massachusetts. But anyway, getting back to uh, Dave and Barbara and their lives, I always appreciated Dave's preaching and uh, his friendship to me. And, uh, and so I've spent a little bit of time kind of looking back on where you're going. It was interesting to me to, as telling Duane as I looked at the bulletin this morning, to see the title of the message. I hadn't picked a title. I will admit that uh, Dave said to me, you can preach whatever you want, but we're going through First Peter, and maybe you'd like to just fit into that. And so uh, sometime during the past week, I decided I'd better find out uh, where you're at in this whole thing. And he had given me the verses, but I kind of wanted to see what went before. And so um, I looked it up online, and then I saw in the, uh, the announcements for today uh, this, this um, titled Not Home Yet, and then the reference. So I was glad I had decided before that that I would preach on what he had suggested that where you would all be uh, when we got together this morning. But anyway, before we begin, let's, uh, let's uh, take a look at the scripture. And I don't think, uh, I'm not sure that there's anything planned for up on the screen, but if you open your Bibles and uh, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to read a few verses together, some of which Dave touched on last week. And uh, I just want to kind of keep the verses that I'm dealing with this morning in context. So if you'll turn to First Peter chapter 1, and I don't know what Bibles you've got there. I'm reading from the NIV version. But I'd like to begin with verse 9. I'm sorry, not 9. Verse 13. Therefore... Prepare your minds for action, be self-controlled, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy." Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. 
For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb without blemish or, or defect. Now this morning I was looking it up on the, uh, in the message, which is a paraphrased version of Scripture. And uh, in verses 17 and 18, which is what we'll focus on this morning, uh, uh, Eugene Peterson, who wrote this, put it this way. You call out to God for help, and he helps. He's a good father that way. But don't forget, he's also a responsible father and won't let you get by with sloppy living. Your life is a journey you must travel with a deep consciousness of God. It costs God plenty to get you out of that dead-ended, empty-headed life you grew up in. He paid with Christ's sacred blood, you know. So that's kind of an interesting way of uh, thinking of those verses. Now let's go back to the NIV and let me just read again the verses that we're going to focus our attention on. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. So with those words from Scripture in mind, let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Now, Father, we do come to you as a Father that we know as a loving, just, holy, graceful God. We appreciate so much all that you've done for us in Christ. And for those of us who have been Come committed to becoming followers of Jesus, acknowledging that he is Savior and Lord of life, and looking forward to the days when we will live with him forever. We also come to you this morning and ask that you would apply these words from your word into our own hearts and minds as it would apply individually. We bring a lot of different things to this point in life, different questions, different concerns, different backgrounds, and Father, you know how this can apply in our own personal lives. So by your Holy Spirit, would you make these things clear to us this morning? And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sure that David has uh, talked to you about the purpose in uh, writing First Peter. Peter was writing to some Jewish people that were living outside the land of Palestine, outside of Israel, away from Jerusalem, the holy city. For a lot of different reasons, they had been moved there. Some of them may be forced to move there. Some of them moved there for convenience of families. We really don't know why the Jewish people were, as they put it, living in exile, because whenever you didn't live near Jerusalem, you were considered to be in exile. And so they were living in a culture that was probably getting a little too familiar to them, and they were uh, beginning to sense uh, their own, as we saw in the video, sort of gravitating towards some things of the world. And uh, the world's uh, values and purposes were totally against everything that they believed. Everything they had heard, they had committed their lives to Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And now they would find themselves under the pressure of a culture that was falling apart, 
in every kind of way. So they were living in difficult times because as they declared themselves followers of Jesus, recognizing him as the Messiah that God said he would send, they began to be persecuted. Not only if they were, uh, they might have been persecuted by their Jewish friends and family, uh, they were certainly being persecuted by the culture around them and the people that lived there and for standing up for something that nobody else believed. And so they found themselves lonesome in a way and uh, having probably asking a lot of questions like maybe we would. Now, we live in difficult times as well, and so there is a way of applying this because we can kind of relate to what they were going through. And we see our culture unraveling in many ways. The values are changing. We're forced to consider what we believe and what we're willing to stand up for. And it raises a lot of questions. We want to protect ourselves. And so they probably did too. And so Peter is kind of reminding them of who they are in Christ Jesus. And so the verses that you've been through with David already have made it very clear. And David has pumped us up with his encouraging way of presenting Scripture to remind us of who we are in Christ Jesus and who, he's, who he is and what he wants to do in our lives and who God is who has been gracious enough to provide a way for our sin to be forgiven. And so he's reminding them, lest they decide to go astray and, and make some uh, Uh, concessions in their own lives and allow things to creep in. So this is an appropriate book for us to look at. It's kind of a, you could give it a title, I guess, as living above the circumstances of life or about living in spite of the circumstances of life, because it certainly is uh, presented to us in that way. And so in verse 17, as we've already read, you call on a father who judges each person Persons work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. There's a number of ways that we can look at this, and I've chosen to just pick out a couple because there are several ways that this might apply. But I think the first thing he is saying is, folks, don't put your hope in this world. And I see so many people around us who are trying to figure out why aren't things going the way they should and what's happening in my life and why does that happen? A lot of why questions and and so that people are beginning to be frustrated or they are frustrated with the circumstances of their lives because they're trying to find hope and satisfaction in the world that we live in. But, you know, we are in exile in a sense. We are not home yet, as the title says. And we can expect, as Christians, to experience some of the difficulties of life. And yet, I often hear people say, well, how come? I'm a Christian and nothing seems to be growing right. What's the matter with God? He hasn't been fulfilling what I thought he would do for me. And of course, there needs to be a lot of self-analysis and introspection when you come to those kind of questions. However, we do also need to recognize that we live in a world that has had a lot of difficulties. And, you know, in the Old Testament is that passage where it says uh, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And uh, the idea there, of course, is that we all live in this world and there's some great things that happen and there's some things that aren't so hot that happen and we all experience that stuff. And God wants us to know, and Peter's trying to encourage people, don't let that get you off track. You're not home yet. Everything in Christ hasn't been fulfilled yet. We are victims of the things that other people make that cause our lives to be painful and uh, unresolved issues that we face. But 
Someday we'll experience things when they're all straightened out. But since we're not home yet, we are in this world and we do experience the same kinds of things that everybody experiences. And so what he's saying here is your father who, who, uh, with your, your father who judges each person's work impartially. The idea there is that we're all living in this together. And there is a sense that God wants us to experience some of the difficulties of life because as he, by the power of his Holy Spirit, moves us through those details and circumstances, then we find that we have some answers that we can give to those who are experiencing the same things, only we can help them to understand what God wants to do and how he wants them to move through life. But the first thing he wants us to all all know is don't put your hope in this world. He wants us to know what we need to do is to live out our lives as foreigners in reverent fear. Now I see this uh, this part of these, this scripture that we're looking at, verse 17, as a, a sort of an, a challenge to us to recognize that we need to uh, think of life and the circumstances that we face and, and then think of it as someone, there is someone willing to, die, to live for. There's someone willing to live for as we consider the issues that he's bringing to us. In Eagle Park, we have a, a motto, I guess you'd say it is, to honor God in all we do. And God wants us to be able to develop such a sense of trust and confidence in him is that in spite of the circumstances, we honor God in all that we do. We have someone to live for. The scripture has made it very clear what God has done for us in Christ. The blessings that we have, the hope for the future, the confidence he gives to us in the, in the consistency of his holy character. And so he wants us to have joy and peace in spite of the circumstances. We have someone to live for, and we have someone that uh, gives us the direction for our lives. In Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, we probably all know those uh, by heart. But for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift from God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, but we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works according to the purpose that God has given to us. Now that's verse 10, that last part is verse 10. Everybody memorizes verse 8 and 9. We leave 10 out of there, but that's where it comes in to explain things to us. God, by, by his grace, has saved us, not because of anything that we've done. So we're saved. But as saved people, he has a purpose for us, good works to do for others. And that brings him glory. And that brings me to the the point that I want to make in this verse 17 is that there's someone to live for, and it's Almighty God and what he's done for us in Christ. So that we as Christians, we need to be orchestrating the responses in our lives to the good and the bad in such a way that God gets the glory. He's the one to live for. He's, that's the message that we need to bring to the world that's unraveling, whose lives are unexplainable, the things that they don't understand, and to help them to see who's the one that can resolve all of that. 
And if they don't see God's glory in our lives and working through us and giving us the kind of reaction to the circumstances of our lives, they're not going to know anything about what they need to do. And so the first thing that Peter is trying to say here is that you call on a God who kind of blesses and curses the world as it unwraps and unravels and and all of the things that they're doing, and we experience the good and the bad, and that God wants to help us through so that he gets the glory as to what values are important for our lives. And that's the witness that he wants us to bring. You know, Viktor Frankl was a a Jewish psychologist who had found himself in the Nazi concentration camps. And uh, during that period of time, he analyzed a lot of things that were going on there and tried to make some sense about it. out of it. And he noticed there were some people that did a lot better in those concentration camps in terms of their life, uh, the length of their life in many cases, but the quality of their life as well. And the bottom line, what he discovered was that those people who had a purpose in life beyond the present condition lived better lives than those who didn't. And that's kind of what God's saying to us here through Peter. is, you know, I'll bless your life in spite of the circumstances. I want to use you, but the purpose that I have for you is to bring glory to me. And Peter is reminding us of how important that is. In uh, Corinthians 10.31, it says, Whatever you do in word or in deed, do all to the glory of God. The next verse, uh, verse 18, he says, uh, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. Well, the first thing that caught my attention was, what uh, the NIV says is the empty way of life. There's a lot of ways it could be, uh, I guess, translated. I looked some up. Empty way, worthless way, futile way, frivolous way, foolish way, fruitless way. We inherited, uh, he's saying, you inherited from your ancestors an empty, fruitless way of life. And I want to encourage you to move beyond that. And so he's suggesting to us that we need, uh, we need to think about someone to die for. We have someone to live for, but there's also someone to die for. In, uh, in Psalm 102, and I didn't mark this in my Bible, but let's see if I can do it quickly. Psalm 102, there's an interesting verse. And I'm getting close. In uh, verse uh, 18. For the Lord will rebuild Zion and will appear in his glory. He will respond to the prayer of the destitute. He will not despise their plea. Let this be written for a future generation. And this is, listen to this, that a people not yet created may praise the Lord. As I read that, I, I see my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, my great-great-grandchildren, my great-great-great-grandchildren, which I will never see, probably, most likely. We'll never get to that point. And so he's talking about generations that aren't even born yet that will be impacted by our lives. 
And he's suggesting that we need to seriously consider not only what God wants, how God wants to live for his purposes, but also to live or to die to some things that will be helpful for those who aren't even born yet. He says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. And so when I caught my attention, I realized that I am an ancestor for somebody. And how I live and what I do and what I say and the legacy that I will leave will be important in the lives of those people who haven't even been born yet. And it's really a challenging kind of a thing to think about. All of a sudden, I know I had somebody to live for, but now I have to think about those that I might die for, and I have to look at my life and suggest to myself and to others that there's some things I need to die to. A friend of mine once said this, Some people live for things that cause them to die, or they die to some things in order to live. And so when we look at our lives and we think about the impact that our lives can have on others, we begin to think about this legacy that we're going to leave for those who follow after us. Peter writes, what you were given was an empty way, and Christ who fills your life with goodness and mercy and grace and a future and a purpose now becomes a life that you can allow to have an impact on those who follow after us. Victor Frankl also found in the concentration camps that people who went through the difficulties with a perspective beyond themselves began to have character built into their lives. They became stronger individuals in many ways, and it allowed them to become able to better handle the circumstances that they faced. We need to die to some things because there is someone to die for. He says, you were redeemed not with uh, perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish and defect. You and I are ancestors for someone. What are we going to leave for a legacy? You know, at Elam Park, there's some people that come there to die. I've heard people say, well, I made my last move. I've heard people say, well, it's really all over for me now. Some of the health issues that they face, I suppose, makes that painful. But some people come to live. And they find things to do. And they help others. And they share with them some of the things in their own lives that are important. And, and for those who are Christians, they have a story to tell because they have someone to live for. And now in dying to certain things in our lives and realizing that we as ancestors with somebody will be able to have an impact, we begin to rethink our lives. When, I, when Lois and I moved to Elam Park a year and a half ago or so, uh, about two months into our living there, my father called me. My father's 97 years old, uh, so he was 96 roughly. He lives down in North Carolina in a place like Elam Park, 
How many of you are familiar with Elam Park? Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, I guess a lot of you. Well, he lives in North Carolina, a place similar, and uh, he called me. We were probably there a couple of months, and he called one day, and he said, Hey, Paul, how are you doing in the transition? And I said, uh, I'm not sure. And he said, What do you mean you're not sure? And I said, Well, I'm not sure I made the right decision to come down to Elam Park. And he said, Well, why would you say that? And I said, um, Well, uh, I get to know some people, and I get to like them and love some of them, and then they get sick, and then some of them die. And he said, Paul, if you and Lois weren't living there, they'd still be getting sick. Some of them would die. Can't you be glad that you're with them during that period in their lives when you can have an influence? Well, you know, I had to die at that moment for a few things in my life because now I found out that there was somebody to die for, in a sense. And so it's become a wonderful place for ministry. But I wonder if we think of that outside a place where it's more obvious. You know, all of the people you know are going to die someday, and you don't know when. And you don't know when you're going to die. And so you don't know how much time you've got to die to a few things so that you live for somebody else's good. You know, as you go through life, and I see this so much at at Elam Park because of the situation, most people, the average age there is about 80 years old, and so I've watched some of them, and when I met them, they were vibrant, exciting, involved people, and they had everything together and could set the direction for their lives and make choices and so forth. And then something would happen, and they'd begin, their health would begin to decline, or their mental capability would begin to decline, and, and they became a little bit um, embarrassed, I guess is one word I'd say. A little bit embarrassed about the condition of their lives, and they recognized that they didn't dress quite the same way because they couldn't see things right, and uh, they didn't quite know how they looked, and they wondered, but they didn't dare ask. And, and so things kind of went downhill a little bit, and... So these people are in powerful positions. Many of them make their decisions for other people's lives and to give influence and so forth. All of a sudden found themselves a little uncertain about things and uh, they were embarrassed. And then as time went on and uh, conditions changed and they couldn't live independent lives anymore, they needed some help, then they moved into a situation where maybe they had a few things left from their life to put them around as memories on shelves and stuff, but they lost some of the things. They had to get rid of some of the things that they had. And they thought, well, you know, I'd already done that. I downsized when we moved, and now I'm downsizing again, and I'm losing the things that were dear to me and had memories and connected me. And, And then they moved into a situation where they could no longer make choices about doctors and what people were going to do and they had to rely on someone else to do that and they were embarrassed and then they if they get really in need of help they move to a skilled nursing area and all of this is wonderful because it protects them and helps them but now they're down in the skilled nursing area where they don't have anything in their room anymore they've got somebody else's furniture because it works better for their condition And the things that they had left are sort of hanging in the closet, but they're not sure because they don't necessarily remember which one door is the closet. 
And people are telling them what to do now, and they're embarrassed. And one person who, of course, I wouldn't tell you the right name, but this individual had a lot of good connections in life, position and recognition and acclamation. And then, as we saw this person begin to move physically and mentally into another part of life, she was embarrassed. And then she finally had to move to another part of the building. And the last picture I have of this lady is she's lying in her bed or in a, in a reclining wheelchair all day long, going like this. Help me. Help me. Help me. All day long. I don't know who she was talking to, and I don't know what help she needed. But this struck me. We all have time in our lives to say, help me. Don't wait till there's no help left. We need to go to God earlier in our lives and say, God, I need your help. And the people we know that don't know the Lord need to know who will help. Living for the glory of God gives meaning. Living for the purpose of influencing others gives purpose. There's someone to live for. There's someone to die for. Charles Wesley wrote this song. Maybe you're familiar with it. It goes uh, like this. He left his father's throne above so free so infinite is grace. He emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all, immense and free, for, O oh my God, it found out me. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? I just wondered as I thought about this close, if this could happen someday on the property of Trinity Baptist and uh, in Fairfield. Years from now, if some news reporter were to dig into the remnants of our past, would the reporter write this? Legend has it that the good news about the saving grace of Jesus Christ was preached here but to date, we have not been able to find any evidence of that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Peter and others who have written down your word for us so that we could appreciate it and be challenged by it. And uh, we need your spirit to give us direction and application Thank you that you have given us yourself to live for. Thank you for giving us others that we can die for and that we can leave a good mark for them to follow as a legacy. May it be so for each one of us, I pray in Jesus' name.
Amen.